Welcome to the Needlefish Podcast. I'm Jim Firth. And I'm John Harland. Each episode, we will do our best to bring practical wisdom and advice from experts in various fields. So we hope you enjoy our show. And if you do, please like, subscribe, and share with your friends. Today's guest is Sir David Amos, a British Conservative Member of Parliament since 1983, when he became MP for Basildon in Essex. In 1997, Sir David became MP for South End West and has been a Member of Parliament for a total of 38 years. In 2015, Sir David was knighted by Her Majesty the Queen at Windsor Castle for political and public service. Welcome, Sir David. Sir David, welcome. Well, thank you. And that's me nicely puffed up, isn't it? (laughs) That's great. Listen, can I just ask, who inspired you to be an MP in the first place? Oh, I didn't read a book or listen to a conversation and say, I want to be an MP. It was part of humanity, really, being born in the area where I was, into poverty. Everything in the area where I lived was labour. 100% Labour Council, had a Labour MP for 40 years. The Greater London Council was always Labour. We had a Labour government. Where where was it you were were brought up? The London Borough of Newham, Forest Gate, which returned the first ever Labour Member of Parliament, Keir Hardy. So it was at an early age something within me thinking, "Mm, I don't know. It's not brilliant around here anymore. The Mm. streets are getting dirtier, the housing is getting run down. And opposite where we lived was a Mr Catton, who happened to be the treasurer of the local ward association. He kept putting his bits of propaganda through the letterbox, and I read them. So at the age of 11... That's when you started, isn't it? I mean, you started at school. I did. I fought the mock elections of 1964 and 1966. I formed my own political party called the Revolutionist Party. We were very popular because our main policy was that we would abolish homework. And we used to have huge turnouts (laughs) at our public meetings, in the playground, in the classrooms. I think most people were actually taking the mickey out of me behind my back. But say la vie, that was the thing that whetted my appetite, the two mock elections. It's interesting to me to understand how, at such a young age, you knew about politics and the political system and about elections. Were your parents political? Not at all. No, we didn't discuss politics round the breakfast table or anything like that. No, it was just sort of something within me. Didn't have a conversation with anyone, no influence. And it was only many, many years later I found out that primarily in our family we had people involved in Conservative politics. We had a former mayor and basically because I think we had lots of relatives who were had their own businesses, they tended to be conservative-leaning. But did my mother and father, I mean, my mother wore the trousers in the set-up, but did my mother and father have any real interest in politics? No, but they certainly did by the time their son had finished. Tell us all, how do you become a Member of Parliament? What's the journey? Well, I can sit here smugly after 38 years. That's why I wrote this book, Eyes and Ears, A Survivor's Guide to Westminster, because to survive in any job for so long is tough. Well, in politics, it's a near miracle. And really, the only people that I owe my success to would be my parents, because um, I don't happen to believe that I was delivered from a stalk, that they created me, and presumably it was the genes that they passed on and the upbringing which they gave me in a very humble way mm. that started me on this journey. So it's really just my parents I owe everything because to. Be- I've had lots of people try and get some of my moonshine over the years, but they're all Johnny-come-latelys. Yeah. But it's an it's incredible <laughs> career because I looked. I mean, I looked up. You're the seven. Can I correct you? Is it, no one has on. a career in politics. No one has a career in politics. No one has a career. Unlike all these people who are overpaid, unelected, 
and sign up for a job and once you employ someone it's jolly difficult to get rid of them yeah you don't have a career in politics because you're only there for a very short time you have to keep submitting yourself to the electorate and they're your employers and you know uh, the majority of people elected to parliament only survive for eight years yeah it's very very short term but you've done 38 years yeah 38 years Mm -hmm. but you're the seventh i think it's the seventh longest serving mp i am of all time of all time ever I think so. No, um, no, no. Well, so who is longer? That, that I mean, would on the make list. me a thousand years old. <laughs> no, no, I, I'm the in seventh the, in longest. The UK. <laughs> no, no, gentlemen, I think you've got this wrong. Okay. Uh, in any parliament, uh, if you go onto Wikipedia, they yeah. have a list of seniority. Yes. And what that means is, I'm the seventh longest serving. Member of Parliament that exists in now this, ah, in this okay. Parliament. So, so, okay, so, and I can tell you the six ahead of me. I've got, and them. they're all in rude health. Yes, yeah, they are. They <laughs> so, could, if they another person says, "David, do you want to be father of the house?" It's up so, there. so, so, Peter Bottomley's the father of the house. He is. Yeah, and I can remember okay. campaigning for him yeah. in that nineteen seventy four election, and he re- and I was his private parliamentary secretary, which he won't remember for a week. He still looks really well, Sir Peter Bottomley. He doesn't look any different when he was an MP. Well, that's because you don't know him, John. Uh, he does not look like he did when he was first elected. I don't look like you do. I did when I've now I don't. So, David, but we've seen pictures Peter's in the book. Wife is probably Virginia is probably where, but women by and large do live longer and wear better. Yeah. So, I think Virginia is in better shape than Peter is, but. If he sits still and speaks, yeah, he looks good. (laughs) (laughs) So listen, tell me about public speaking. And when you first made a speech, I guess it was a bit at school and and again in Parliament. Well, I'd like to be an inspiration to someone, although I'm struggling to be an inspiration to anyone. But at the age of five, I was described as suffering from a condition known as stuttering. And when the head teacher called my mother up to school and said... Mrs Amos, do you realise your son is nicknamed Double Dutch? She didn't have a clue about this. Mm. I couldn't form the sound stir or thur, and I had a very bad stutter. So uh, I had to wear a brace. I mean, not like youngsters these days who always got things in their mouths to have their teeth whitened. I had a brace on the top teeth, bottom teeth, and for three years my mother walked me two and a half miles to a speech therapist in West Ham Lane, and it was literally how now brown cow. Otherwise I would have had a true Cockney accent. Yeah. So it's not put on, so... Yeah, to make a maiden speech anywhere was yeah, something, but to make deal. it in Parliament, it was absolutely awe-inspiring. Did you tell us about that? I mean, when was, do you remember that? Oh, I do, as if it just happened. But unlike the recently elected members of Parliament, it's all captured on video. When I made my maiden speech, it's just on an old-fashioned tape because Parliament wasn't televised then and they didn't produce videos. Have you got a copy and of that tape? I have somewhere, but yeah. uh, I don't think I've got a tape recorder to play it. But and what yeah, was the I speech about? What do you remember? It was John Major, who was my then whip. We wrote it together because I had been waiting, I think it was on the 18th of January or 19th of January 1984. I waited that long to make my maiden speech, and it was because I wanted to speak in the second reading of the Rates Bill, which was later to be known as the, well, I was going to say, Community Charge. It was a piece of legislation which stopped local authorities just taxing people as much as they wanted to. Mm. It then got a bad name as the poll tax, but that's what I made it on because everything in Basildon was Labour at that time. Mm. Uh, They hated me and the feeling was entirely mutual. This is the, the then council and the key officers And I chose my, you're supposed not to be controversial making your maiden speech, but it was all about Basin and Council and how rotten they were. (laughs) And uh, I followed Ted Heath. The chamber's absolutely packed. Yeah, no, I remember it completely. I had my family. Were you pleased with it? Did you feel it went well? Your maiden speech is the only time when the house doesn't interrupt you and listens to you in silence. Right. Well, we just had a speech from Ted Heath, who was pretty bitter by that time in, in his life. 
and he was very anti this piece of legislation, so Conservatives were pleased to hear this very young man who had long hair down to there at the time. How old were you then? Making, I think, 29 or 30, something like that. And the speaker, Bernard Wetherall, sent me a note saying, what a marvellous speech. Matthew Paris, who was the MP for a Derbyshire seat then, uh, sent me a note saying the House had never laughed so much. Well, of course, my detractors would say, yeah, <laughs> other, uh, people haven't stopped laughing at you ever since. But I think given the stress, and you take stress in a different way uh, the longer you live, I think that I was pleased with the outcome. And I was pleased that John Major helped me. Yeah. So I had it on, you only speak for 10 minutes, or you did in those days, and it was on little postcards, and each postcard represented a minute. What advice would you give someone who was interested in making a career? Uh, Well, no, it's not a career, uh, going into politics. Well, I would say, do you take advice? And do you want advice? I mean, nowadays people aren't like that. They sort of come to me to tell me what they want. Do they? Me too. Oh, yes. I can't believe that. Uh, the idea that people come with advice have already got it all worked out and the outcome of the whole thing. I mean, gone are the days when people take advice. You know, if someone did take my advice, but I would say, look, if you're on a short-term journey to politics, it'll end in tears. Mm. What do you believe in? Do you believe in anything? And then if you do believe in something, get yourself hitched up to a political party, but... Now, so many people don't seem to believe in things. They change their mind and what they believe in. I mean, I'm not talking about the minutiae policies, but I'm talking about your philosophy of life. Mm. And my philosophy of life is very straightforward. Everyone is a sinner. I've met very, very few saints, although everyone seems to think they're a saint, but I've met very, very few saints. You're here for a very short time, so make the most of your God-given talents. And I believe that it's the Conservative Party which has policies. I mean, this is an unusual time we're going through at the moment, but has policies which enables you to make the most of your life. And I can say that with real feeling because, you know, I came from an area Mm. which was always of one political philosophy. And that philosopher was saying, oh, isn't it awful round here? Mm. This is terrible. That's terrible. But hang on. What about changing it for everyone? It's quite incredible, isn't it, that you came from an area that was predominantly Labour. Mm. All Um, Labour. Everything was Labour. And then, you know, you you chose... one opposition person on the council. You you chose a... Dictatorship. A a political party that was... And it was just the fact ...diametrically opposed to that. Yeah, and it was the fact that, as I say, this elderly gentleman who looked like Montgomery Mm. uh, kept putting these bits of paper through the uh, letterbox. And I read the bit of paper. Yeah. And that's how it all started. So what... But people wouldn't do that now because it's all on iPhones and internet and... Facebook and TikTok and all, all of that. So the ways of communicating are completely different. So you see, would people really want my advice? Because they would say, it's very dated, David. Move on, the world has changed. No, I think they would because, you know, 38 years in Parliament. Absolutely. You know, you're a veteran uh, member yeah. of Parliament. You know oh, how the system works. Please don't use that word, veteran. <laughs> Experienced you, member of Parliament. You'll be telling me that I'm a senior figure like the newspapers. <laughs> they describe my colleagues who've been there two minutes as a senior figure just to get a story. It's well, pathetic. We wouldn't do that, Sir no. David. We, but the thing is, you, you've been involved in politics for such a long time. Yeah, I have. So you know the systems, you know how it I works. Do. To someone like myself, who's not involved in any kind of parliamentary process or anything to do with that. It's fascinating to understand how you would get into that in the first place. But I think you see a lot of people when they ask me for advice, they say, oh, I want to be an MP. Mm. I said on the green benches, hang on, folks. You'll find that you haven't got all the power that you believe you will have if you become an MP. You won't have all the glamour that you seem to think is behind the job. And you certainly won't earn much money no it's public service as a result of it so it really is a huge sacrifice for you and your family in trying to make a difference i would say if someone's asking me advice you need to have your eyes wide open Mm. as to what this is all about because as my book 
tells people, never mind about scandals, another word that I don't use. I mean, uh, through my time, people have committed suicide. Their children have committed suicide. They've ended up being bankrupt. They've had really, really bad breakdowns, Mm. terrible health problems. No, I was there when um, John Wakeham, who is still alive, he was blown up by the IRA. Other colleagues who were blown up, including Airy Neve, every time I take my car into Westminster and come up the ramp, they put a tilt mechanism under the car and of course it was blown as it was coming up the ramp like that. And although they've gone now, the attendants who were there on the day, they told me they didn't actually kill him instantly. And this was a chap who'd escaped from Colditz not once but twice. Unbelievable. So, yeah, I, I suppose, you see, even if I told people all this, would they believe it? Would they think it real? You know, if you're young, you think you're invincible. What is the thing that motivates you the most to carry on every day? I mean, you're a phenomenal constituency MP. I saw you look at Rebecca there, who's in the room. But, but you are, you're a phenomenal. Uh, I suppose it's just surviving and not to allow individuals, groups of people, mass groups to get the better of you. I do think if you understand what being an MP is, you can make a real difference for people and change their lives. Mm. And it doesn't get any publicity, but throughout those times, it's down to thousands of people that I have actually made a real difference for in all sorts of ways, whether it's getting an operation or getting a school or getting a housing or getting their close relative's dead body brought back from abroad or getting them out of prison. A huge difference. But none of these things, of course, get any publicity. I mean, all politicians get publicity for is how I started off this podcast. We're all sinners. Mm. And MPs, members of the royal family, the police, the judiciary, we're all sinners. And, of course, all the media, because they're not sinners, (coughs) excuse me for choking there, Uh, all the media are interested in the, um, how can I put it, the colourful side of the life of individuals. So very recently, you know, you've had a colleague of mine in the glare of publicity because he was identified as being a sinner. And so it will go on. Interesting that you highlight all the, the things that you're able to do for your constituents, you know, that you don't, you're right, you do not hear about the stuff helping people. I do think that uh, it would cheer people up if they heard a few of the good things, yeah. what politicians, I mean, why should we be seen as the lowest of the low? Because I know the 649 other MPs, I know that there are some of them going through. Very, very tough times mm, in yeah. all sorts of situations. And the idea that uh, members of parliament don't have their own problems is ridiculous. However, I do sort of worry about the modern trend among my colleagues to stand up in parliament and publicly talk about their circumstances. Now, the media says, will it help others? <laughs> Hang on, it doesn't. It's there forever. Mm. And also, once you show your human frailty, it does mean that your constituents, who can be very judgmental, very hard on their MP, sort of lose confidence and start saying, well, if that MP's got all their problems, they shouldn't be an MP. So it's all a question of judgment, really. But I would, again, if anyone asked my advice, I would err on the caution in terms of revealing all about your life mm. and I think everyone is entitled to some sort of private life I agree. So, yeah. you know I agree. why should the monarchy have some sort of private life it's a bit that we're sustaining and paying for which they certainly shouldn't shouldn't be private and you know the same with MPs mm. you know, as long as they're doing their job and their jobs you know we're not a parish councillor we're supposed to be national and international politicians so you should try and make a difference on the world arena my god at the moment the world is crying out for leadership this is about the weakest lot of world leaders in my lifetime frankly i think politicians need to stand up you mentioned in the book about obviously the building hasn't changed 
Parliament hasn't changed, but the process has changed. Oh, so completely much. changed. I mean, my party stupidly had open primaries. I mean, how ridiculous was that? You know, that you could turn up at a selection meeting, but you weren't a member of the Conservative Party. I don't want the Conservative candidate chosen by people who don't believe in Conservative values. Absolutely ridiculous. And, of course, it worked its way into the system that we had MPs standing up, constantly voting against the Conservative government, changing political parties and all of that. So that was a complete disaster. No, I, I think a lot of pressure should be on Conservative associations to really interview people, find out what they're about, make sure they've got a proven track record, you know, that they haven't only been public relations people or or ministerial assistants and all of that. I believe in people having real jobs and worrying about how to make ends meet and all of that. So I have worried about some people who've joined Parliament and I think, well, Are they the right people to represent constituents? I don't know, but it's through the ballot box. So if people decide after they've had a taste of them that they're not the right person, then it's up to them to change. I mean, your your biggest inspiration... It was Margaret Thatcher. Oh, head and shoulders above ev- everyone else, really. I mean, I can't... I'd struggle with prime ministers, British prime ministers, who changed the world, but she did. And uh, wasn't I blessed to be there at two terms when she was at the peak of her powers? Absolutely incredible. And, I mean, she only ever had one uh, woman in her cabinet, and that was Baroness Young. Yeah. She was a lovely lady. She didn't last too long. But if we men were, if you look at spitting images, uh, daft enough to allow her to bash them around, well, <laughs> OK, <laughs> pathetic. She enjoyed people who stood up to them. Yeah. But she, I mean, when... Margaret Thatcher, Mikhail Gorbachev and Ronald Reagan were world leaders. They were, that, that was the best time as far as I was concerned. And if these people, well, Mikhail Gorbachev is still alive, yeah. uh, but, but not really very active. But if the other two were alive and could see the world today, they just wouldn't believe it. I don't know where to start, frankly, but uh, off air I can tell you what I think about them all, but I'm not going to say it publicly. No, no. no. I, I, I mean, I remember. The, to correct me, I'm sure you will if if I'm wrong. But when you were when you were elected MP for Basildon, I remember watching that on television. Okay. Well, that's wrong. You see immediately. Is it? Because, oh yes, it certainly wasn't televised. You're getting confused there. John. Am I? Nothing was televised in Basildon. There see, wasn't what even oh. one student reporter from the Evening Echo there. You're getting your dates wrong. Am I getting my dates 1992. wrong? 1992. Was it? wasn't 1983. Oh, okay. That was the only time, really, I became right. famous for 30 seconds. I, and that what, was seen all over the world. That's what I was going to ask you. <laughs> that I was 1992, not 1983. That, oh, okay. I stand corrected on dates. I do apologise. And but you'd have been too young then as no, well. No, I was... I can remember. And I remember it coming to... And I remember seeing you on the TV. And and you were... You were you you were the sort of standard bearer. That I was. was you that were. That was 1992. Okay, so I, I'm sorry and about the, the dates. the special moment for me... It wasn't when you and other people discovered me. It was 1983. That was the that's, dream when I was first elected. But it was only because I'd banged on and on about Basildon, 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 that people got interested and covered me. And that's when the Labour Council, who hated me, employed 100 Barclays bank tellers, told all the media that I would be the first Conservative Member of Parliament to lose their seat. Okay. So we want the TV to cover it. Anna Ford, I don't know if you remember her. Yes, she yeah, yeah, Anna of course. Ford, yes. Um, Dimbleby, he phoned They were all there, thought, were they? Hang on, I'm not that famous, why are you covering it? And then it was just, I began to notice it, because... The, the the result was declared in an hour. Yeah. Well, nowadays, you know, during the count, people die. It takes so long. Yeah. But on that occasion, it was just just an hour. But I remember it, and and you know, I'm going going to go back, okay? Because you haven't changed. Your hair was a bit oh. no, seriously. <laughs> you look exactly the same. You Your hair might have been a bit longer. <laughs> seriously, I mean, okay. you, you haven't. <laughs> if you say so. Oh, no, I, I do. So no, nineteen ninety. I was famous for yeah. 30 seconds because on live on national TV, I can see Anna Ford and David didn't. They, they, they were shaking because yep. the script had all gone wrong. And I was able How to. How did that make you feel? I was numb with it, but every single election I've ever fought, mm. I rehearse 
what am I going to do if I lose? Right. Many of my colleagues don't. They burst into tears and they show their emotions Mm. or their anger. I don't. I don't take anything for granted. So I was able to stand there and say, rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. John Major will still be our Prime Minister. And four weeks later, I want every resident in Basildon to go out, vote Conservative and vote this rotten Labour council out of office. Of course, the chairman of the council, you know, practically had a heart attack on stage (laughs) as I was saying all this. And what did they do? Four weeks later, they did. So they voted every single Labour councillor who was up for election out of office. Wow. 15 candidates and they all lost. And we won. And uh, we had a marvellous celebration taking control of the council. I appeared live on national TV with wire cutters cutting down the nuclear free zone signs outside GEC avionics. And it was just heady, heady days. Yeah, yeah. But it was a long, long time ago. But uh, joyous moments. And electioneering used to be such fun. I miss the swingometer. Mm. Now what happens? 10 o'clock, bang, 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 big bench house. And now the exit polls and you get the result. Yeah. You know, so all the fun as you know, yeah. I used to like conservative gain, Labour gain, Liberal gain, it's all gone. Yeah. But on the politics programme on the TV, they occasionally replay the old election programmes and I love them. With Robin Day. Oh, yes, me, yeah. Robin yeah. Day. Gosh. I mean, the present commentators who are ridiculously paid, they're rubbish compared to what they used yeah. to be. I mean, they don't interview them. They're just so aggressive. Can we go back and talk about <laughs> Mrs Thatch? Because yes. she, for, for numerous reasons, was an enormously divisive uh, character for a lot of people and still remains See, I today. don't agree with that. No? I think it's divisive from the person's point of view if you're not agreeing with the person. Mm. So you call that divisive. I call it standing for things. Mm, yeah. All this consensus politics, looks, look where it's got us, the coronavirus pandemic, yeah. with what may or may not have gone on with bats in a Chinese market. So I think it's over-egged, this word divisive. Mm. She did things. And if you do things, you're always going to get people... I mean, read my emails... The sun is shining. No, it's not. The weather's awful. Are you having a good day? No, I'm not. And it just goes on and on and on. That's division. But, you know, I mean, look at the Extinction Rebellion lot from middle-class families with all lovies supporting them who are going across the big pond in their jets. I mean, oh, you couldn't make any of it up. (laughs) Margaret was true to herself. Mm. What are your abiding memories of her uh, as a politician? um, that to her, the little things counted. Mm. So she, again, like me, thought everyone was a sinner, but she knew if you were in trouble, because she had people telling her, and you'd get a little handwritten note. And when she went through the division lobbies, not like now, you'd think there's a Prime Minister, oh, God help us, <laughs> I'll keep a wide berth. They're, they're, I'm not talking about the present government, I'm just saying... That's the way their moonshine has diminished. When Margaret Thatcher came through, it was as if there was this shine through her and aura, although some people got a bit fed up because she would grab a member of the cabinet and sort of start on them in front of everyone, I'd say, in front of uh, everyone. But it would be the, the little things. And I think one of the memories I would have is when she became leader of the Conservative Party, not Prime Minister, I appeared with her in her first party political broadcast. And we went to Conservative Central Office. I mean, Conservative Central Office is a pale shadow what it used to be. 32 Smith Square. And there was Margaret. And there were three other people. And we were taken to Pinewood Film Studios to shoot this party political broadcast. And one of the people in the van was someone called Ted Atwell. And he was the archetype Cockney. And he didn't only just talk. As he talked, he kept jabbing you. Oh, really? And throughout this car journey, Ted talked and talked and talked 
and kept jabbing Margaret. And I thought, well, if you're not going to put one on him, I am. <laughs> and we get to Elm Street Film Studios. We're filming this particular broadcast. And, I mean, you couldn't do this these days. I don't think the baby was real. But, anyway, the baby was in a cot with a ball and chain round its foot. And the ball and chain represented Labour's debt. Yeah. And we then went to say our bits and Ted dried up. We did take after retake after retake. <laughs> he couldn't do it. But she never lost her temper. And I thought, oh, crikey, well, considering what you're going to have to put up with, you must be rather special. When did you first meet her? I think it would have been in 1975 or whenever it was, she was first elected. I, together with a few group of people, we took a little... It wasn't a bouquet, it was flowers in oases, so-called from the primrose lead to her house in Flood Street, and presented them to her, I think, that was the first time. But if you look at the book, and I do hope listeners are going to buy this book, yeah. Eyes and Ears, A Survivor's Guide to Westminster, you can see a picture... Although, actually, perhaps I didn't use this one. There is a terrible picture of myself and Margaret together in her opposition office. And Margaret was wearing a pinafore dress. She had a bit of a gap between her two front teeth and very thin hair. We didn't look great, really, but we both sort of later had makeovers. I mean, she looked fantastic later. She found a real way to dress herself. The hair looked wonderful. The bit of padding in either shoulder. She always smart. I never, ever saw Margaret underdressed. She was always done up to... And, you know, I think if you're a leader, you should always look a bit special. So you chaps not wearing ties if you're a leader, I absolutely deprecate it. Let's have a few uniforms. I like to see children at school in uniforms and there's not competition who's wearing expensive trainers who's wearing beautiful dresses and all that so I think uniforms are good and I like to see our leaders well dressed and Margaret was well always well dressed so David what so I have I'm interested because what do you think I mean she lost favor didn't she within the party so what happened I mean was it just the time had run her time had run or what was it something specific Oh, to be leader, never mind Prime Minister, for over 11 years, my goodness, the toll that that takes on your health, for goodness sake. And Dennis Thatcher was absolutely wonderful. I mean, he really was just like the Duke of Edinburgh was the Queen's Rock, and she couldn't do it without him. You can sort of see that now. Um, Margaret couldn't have done it without Dennis. And I think that uh, if you're around for that long, you're going to cheese off. Because in those days, people were MPs for a longer length of time than they appear to be now. Yeah. So, I mean, many colleagues just like me, I remember everything. I do hold grudges. You wouldn't know it, but I do. <laughs> and, um, of course, many colleagues held grudges against Margaret. Because yeah. the longer you're there, she'd, she'd remove people from yeah. office. So the resentment built up. But look, as I was there, one of the very few there, when we had that leadership contest, the reason she lost, as she put her hand up like that to me, just by four votes, was through the absolute incompetence of those people running her campaign. I mean, it was stupid having her in Paris at the time. Mm. She could have easily buttered up eight people or however many people, but that didn't happen really, frankly. So, yeah, she she could have survived as Prime Minister, but look, who who knows? You can't rewrite history. All I know is things would have been very, very different to how they panned out. And unfortunately, she did give us Tony Blair. There's no question about it. She gave us Tony Blair. And I think the damage that he did to our country is manifest because of what happened about the war with Iraq. In the book, you touch on... I mean, you have respect for some of the opposition leaders. Oh, huge. I prefer... Uh, some opposition members to my own side. I mean, yeah. why, why shouldn't you? Just because mm. you belong to a different 
political party to yeah. someone else's and saying, I like you, I don't like you. It's, yeah. You know, I judge the person on how they are as a person, not because of a political lead. Who, who, who would be the most respected person you, 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 you've either met or have come to uh, business with? I'm you? not going to say publicly I know you who t- now. Right. But certainly in my lifetime, I mean, I thought Howard Wilson was a wonderful politician, yeah. really, and it was a bit of a shock for me as a newly elected MP to see him with on the arm of Mary sort of talking to himself because, unfortunately, yeah. again, he completely lost the plot. But outstanding. I never met Gateskill, but a wonderful, wonderful orator. Tony Benn. I had a few chats with Tony Benn, and, of course, his son Hillary is still an MP now. Yeah. He was marvellous. Michael Foote, I had a few conversations with him as well. David Orton, he he was, um, and still is now, a sort of wonderful friend. You know, I could go on and on about ones. I've got lots of friends on the uh, opposition benches, but, you know, when you talk about friends, everyone has very, very few friends. You can count them on Mm. your hand, really, real friends. Yeah, and I've had wonderful friends on my own benches. I've still got a few good friends on my own benches, but not many left who I can talk to about the old times because (laughs) they don't want to know. It's only the way things are now. You know, the modern MP really is in in a bit of a hurry to do things, really. You know, before they're elected, they want to be Prime Minister. Well, (laughs) good luck with that one. All political careers, your word, John, not mine, end in tears. (laughs) Just to go back, Lastly, to Baroness Thatcher, um, you stated in the book that you, she had empathy with the working classes. Do you think that she lost that empathy uh, during the miners' strike? No, no. Well, look, recently the present Prime Minister seems to have gone to hot water because of what he said about the mines. I'd like to ask your uh, listeners how many people have been down a mine. I have. I've been down a mine with uh, David Hunt, who was then their mine minister somewhere in Nottingham. And when you go down and down and down and you're crawling on your stomach with about that much between your back and, Mm. you know, it doesn't do much if you're claustrophobic. And, of course, what it does to your health is awful. Absolutely awful. I could talk a lot about mines, really. But, you know, Margaret, was, she was wonderful on climate change. We would not be in the mess that we are now with climate change. Some of the present leaders, oh, they talk absolute rubbish on it. You know, they would turn up for these conferences and then nothing happens. And the reality is, unless we can get to United States of America, India, China... Russia to do something about it, then we are in trouble. And you've got to listen to the wonderful David Attenborough, you know, he's yeah. now 96, to realise, yes, the ice cap is is melting, yeah. endangered species all over the world. Yeah, we should get angry. But not the Extinction Rebellion approach to it, which, you know, is, to me, not the right approach, frankly. Margaret, in terms of what happened with the miners... We have sort of much to thank her for, but that's uh, that's another opportunity for a podcast. We've touched on it a little bit uh, about obviously the pandemic. How how does that affected your work? Well, Parliament has been rubbish since the twelfth of December two thousand and nineteen, and no one else has got any previous experience of this. I'm like everyone else. I hated wearing face masks at the start. I sort of got used to it quite comforting in the winter but it isn't in the summer particularly if you'd had hay fever for donkey's years i'm fed up with zoom calls i'm fed up with the whole concept of working from home that isn't what i'm like it's very very frustrating but uh, it's a virus which mutates thank god we left the european union because if we'd gone along with the european vaccination program we would have been in the doo-doos the vaccination program in the UK in spite of what some people say has been and is an enormous success yes we can't order people to have the vaccination it's down to free choice but uh, going back to my childhood when as regularly you'd have a vaccination against polio diphtheria and all of that I personally can't see what the problem is with the whole thing no the coronavirus pandemic no one's got any experience of it there will eventually be an inquiry we'll find out how well or badly 
the government have handled it. But unquestionably, it has changed every human being Mm. on a one-to-one basis. It's changed us all and it's changed life and the way we live. And no one can see in the future what's going to happen. I mean, are you dealing with it in the constituency of people asking questions? Oh, all the time. All the time. All all the time. And of course, people want certainty. Yeah. And you can't give them certainty. Yeah. Where do you stand on the highly contentious issue of vaccine passports? Well, I think whoever started off the expression, uh, a stupid expression, if you own a venue privately, and I think most venues are owned privately then how can you stop the owner insisting that you have to prove that you've been double vaccinated? Because there will be people using their facilities who want to be sure that they're not going to catch coronavirus. I mean, this is just stupid. We can't all... Going back to what was said earlier about Margaret... And about being contentious. If you've got a policy, then you get people against it. Mm, yeah. And, you know, there's the things that I hear. So I think that if we do want to continue to open up the economy, then if people who own these different venues, all sorts of venues, want to operate in a safe environment, then they're absolutely right to insist that you can't go in there unless you've got a passport. I mean, this is just stupid. I can't go, I can remember as a youngster queuing up to get into Tramp's discotheque and, or whatever the, the, the big one was in, in Barclays Square, but they had a right to decide, oh, I don't like the look of you. We, we don't want to let you in. So what's it all about? It's we've got a right, we've got a right, we've got a right. Yeah, you have got a right to live your life as you want, but you haven't got a right to force it onto other people, which is, unless I've misunderstood it, what the issue is yeah. at the moment. And you, do you also agree that it's a free choice to take the vaccine? Oh, completely, yeah. completely. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're Always not. been the case. Yeah. I can remember one of my colleagues calling Tony Blair when he was Prime Minister to book at the dispatch box because he wasn't prepared to say whether we, he was letting his children have the vaccination and yeah. i assume the fact that he he didn't have them vaccinated was because he wouldn't answer it it, yeah. it wasn't to do with privacy so yes of course everyone's yeah. got that right yeah. yeah it's personal choice isn't it personal choice yeah can i which can... is the same as voting yeah. yeah we don't insist on people voting no. yeah we live in a democracy don't we yeah yeah, yeah. i mean going back to South End and, and your time as MPM. Has, how has South End changed? Mm. It has changed. And when I came here in 1997, I felt there was a lot of resentment because there was only one MP for Basildon and it was me. Yeah. And I did eventually have a lot of influence there. And I felt coming to South End, which thought it was a lot posher than Basildon. Oh, my goodness. I can remember the uh, South End Rail users coming to see me in my surgery when I was the MP at Basildon, arguing that the trains from Thorpe Bay shouldn't stop at Langdon or Pitsy or Basildon because it would delay their children. I mean, you could make it up, could you? Whereas I knew what it was about. You know, a little bit like some people claiming if they go to Thurrock, you know, you're lucky if you come back and you've got wheels on the and all this sort of thing. It was for snobby reasons. And, of course, I came to South End and posh South End didn't have any problems. It had two MPs. They didn't sort of welcome that. It's been very, very tough. Well, my goodness, South End's got problems. And just as with Basildon, I talked it up. Mm. I try and do the same with South End. Talk it up. Be positive. And my vision, you know, we're never going to get back to boom time as a seaside resort because people don't buy large holiday in the UK, although fortunately during the pandemic they've had to. But we've got any number of issues that we need to deal with. I mean, we've got a football team that we need to sort out. We've got a high street that we need to sort out. We've got education issues, 
health issues with an ageing population. We've got crime, the like of which I thought I would never see. You know, I was, when I was the MP for Basildon, not one person was murdered in 15 years. When I came to South End, in no time at all, we were into three figures. But I was yeah. all told about, oh, it wasn't locals, it was all the people arriving from London and washed up bodies. But, you know, we've, we've got a problem here with violence and with drugs. So mm. I could go on and on. There are issues to tack yeah. here. That is why I want Southend to become a city. Well, that's what I was going to say. I mean, if you become exactly a city, what I was going to say. you attract investment. What? It's Where a no-brainer. Where are we with Well, that? I'm delighted to say that the local authority is going to support south end becoming a city so we've set up a committee oh dear 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 another committee which isn't a talking shop there was a vote on it there was a vote on one and i became the chairman and we are putting together a bid for city status and it will be a drip 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 release of information how to get involved where we're going on all this. Fabulous. But I do want Southend to become a city because if you become a city, you do attract all sorts of investment. And ladies and gentlemen, you do not need a cathedral to become a city. That's a complete misnomer. If we wanted a cathedral, it would be St Mary's Church, Prittlewell, yeah. which ticks all the right boxes. Well, how do you become a city? Yes. <laughs> I, I think this would be another podcast because there are huge forms to be filled in in a nutshell with all sorts of well you have to be a certain size in terms of population yeah you have to illustrate that in all facets of life you are how can i put this big enough to demand city because obviously different between a town and a city Mm. and it's all about presenting your case So I think we leave others standing. I mean, most people in life want to walk on water. Well, we do. We walk (laughs) on water a mile and a half. Most people want to be inspired in life. We'll just sit on the coast of South End and the Thames Estuary as it moves in and out Mm. just inspires you. Or we've got wonderful things going on at our hospital. Uh, We've got wonderful things going on in our schools. We have so much going for us, really, as at the moment a town... We don't shout enough about it all. Mm, And, of course, the population has grown and grown and grown. Well, presumably it's grown because people want to be here. And I think we've just got to convince those who judge whether or not somewhere becomes a city that we are the best. Who are those people who judge that? Um, Independents. We don't know yet who will be judging this for the Platinum Jubilee of the Queen. That hasn't been announced, Mm. but I'm sure it'll be civil service led. I assume that will be the case. But I want to make sure that we tick all the right boxes and that we put forward a presentation because I'm fed up with other areas, which frankly, I'm not going to name them, but are absolute dumps, pretending that they're marvellous when they're not marvellous. Whereas in South End, we've got so much going for us, but we just don't shout about it. And I know there are huge numbers of people quietly going about their business and doing amazing things, really. So, David, I've got to ask, your overriding, abiding memories of the day you were knighted? Well, the memory is looking out of the hotel window and seeing the Royal Standard flying from Windsor. Yeah. Because I said, yes, it is the Queen. Yeah. So I was going to be knighted on the same day as the general election. And I phoned up the people and said, look, this is the day of the election. I'm going to be quite busy. (laughs) It's at Buckingham (laughs) Palace, which I didn't particularly want. And I had a feeling it wasn't going to be the Queen. So I was blessed to say to the person on the phone, I wanted Windsor because you get much better photographs and you're more likely to get the Queen if you're done at Windsor. Oh, it was just so exciting that it was, you know, I'm easily pleased. Not everyone likes a royalty. I do. Well, I I remember seeing the video because everybody that gets knighted gets an individual video, don't they? 
Well, you have to buy it. Of oh, course. do you? Oh, yes. It's oh, not, right. Nothing is free. Okay, I thought that was part nothing of the deal. Nothing is free. No, no. No, you have to buy the video. Oh, no, but it was very impressive. It's yeah. a whole, it's like a documentary. Oh, I didn't buy the actual medal hanging around my oh, neck. Oh, right. Yeah. No, 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 no. But, yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, all the bits and pieces, and why shouldn't it? But you get a wonderful tour of Windsor afterwards, and I was also knighted at the same time as, now I forget his name, Robert Hurt? John Hurt. John Hurt. John Hurt. Because right. yeah. he's in the, because, uh, in the video, I can see him in the background. Yeah, well, I kept looking at this chap and thinking, well, God, you would have thought you'd made an effort to dress up for the occasion. <laughs> because in those days, it, uh, I say those days wasn't very long ago, but brown wasn't the fashion state. The 2015. Is now. Yeah, yeah, I mean, nowadays it's, it's good to wear brown shoes with, yeah. with black, but it, yeah. was, it wasn't them. Yeah. And he was in this brown suit. Well, it was explained to me afterwards that he was wearing the same suit that he'd worn in... What was the film he was famous for? Was it, it wasn't The Elephant Man, the, the other one. Well, he was in a few. Wasn't Alcatraz? Well, what, what, whatever Midnight it was. Express. It, oh, I'd have to go have a look. Yeah, well, whichever film it yeah, was, yeah. very famous film, yeah. he was wearing the same brown suit for the Queen. Yeah. I mean, you, I mean you, the Queen is marvellous to yeah. sit there at all these endless non-entities standing in front of her and she's pretending to be interested in what they said, and obviously she's handed something saying what the person has done. And her opening remarks to me was, you've been an MP for a very long time. Was well, six hours later, she'd nodded off completely, as I'm explaining, all that I've done o- over the years. No, she, she does it very nice. No, she's amazing. I mean, you've had dealings with the royal family over many years. I've met most of the royals. Yeah. Not one particular royal which I'm not going to talk about oh, okay. at, the, at the moment yeah, but, no, right. yeah I have met most of the royals because yeah. I, I always Princess Anne is my favourite is I mean, she I was going to ask oh, I was going to push it absolute marvellous yeah when she came to meet the people at Citizens Advice Bureau, not when they've just got an honour from the Lord Lieutenant, but a few years ago, I remember meeting her saying, oh, I'm sorry about the weather. She said, and she immediately argued back, but not not, not in a nasty way. <laughs> and she's not pompous. No. She's not grand. And she's so interested in what people have got to say to her. Mm, yeah. and very, very knowledgeable. Did you, she's first class. Did you meet Princess Diana? did well i got her to open our hospice there st luke's hospice which yeah. unlike south end you see which was already up and running by yeah. the time i got here started from nothing yeah. and got her to open the hospice together with the duchess of norfolk and there's my wife holding i don't know if it was our first or second child and yeah we had a lovely conversation i was a big big fan of princess yeah. diana it wasn't just her Beauty, because I personally not so keen on tall women. Uh, I can never understand these short men going around with tall women. Can you, chaps? Never really but, thought about it. No, I, you? Oh, I think about it. You'd be amazed at the things I think about. <laughs> I was going to ask you what you did in your yeah, spare time. I, I think about all sorts of things. But so it wasn't just her beauty, but she had that overused word charisma yeah and it is a gift to appear and make people feel better about yeah. themselves yeah. god she had a tough time. so you've obviously met loads of world leaders as well yeah and i'm curious to know who, who well i was once in an aeroplane with bishop tutu he wasn't world leader but i thought who oh, this funny chat next to me i was very glad when the plane landed actually who are the, <laughs> who are the most impressive people that you met oh heads of state World leaders, I would say it would be Mikhail Gorbachev, and I'm trying to think which American president. So what was it about Gorbachev then that you found impressive? Well, for a start, he could speak English, (laughs) which at that time... Is it known that the present German leader, I mean, she always speaks in German. She's, you know, you think she's been English. She's been there a very, very long time. But he was very fluent uh, English. And it was his engagement and vision, really. I think also of world leaders, I took the Philippine president, Ramos, round the House of Commons, he was very impressive. Actually, in the Philippines, thinking about it, I, I met um, 
Mrs. Marcus, I said, could I have a pair of shoes? <laughs> <laughs> There's a long, long list. I, I didn't meet the Ceausescu's. They'd been shot by the time I got to there. Did but yeah, a long list. of. But you see, most of these leaders are transient. Mm. And I tend to look for eye contact, handshake, mm. a kiss on either cheek. I'd love to tell you who I was least impressed with, but I'm not going to. Well, I was going to ask, did you ever meet Donald Trump? No. You never met Donald Trump, okay. No, he didn't ask to meet me while I was over. Look, yeah, I will say something about Donald Trump. Anyone could have beaten him other than Hillary Clinton. And they put up such a poor candidate against him. And I've got many Republican friends who still think Donald is marvellous. Yeah. There we go. No, yeah. I did, didn't meet Donald Trump. I did meet Barack Obama when he came to Westminster Hall. The then speaker made sure that I had a little conversation with him. Oh, great. And he's just celebrated his 60th birthday, hasn't he? Yeah. But he clearly didn't remember me because I didn't get an invite to the party. <laughs> How do you think you can become the best politician that you can be? When you say a politician, at which level? I guess for for me it's about serving the community because that ultimately is what you do as a as a public servant isn't mm. it you want to you want to get the best for the people who who are your constituents I think it's not to take on too much right life is very very short really very very short and you can only make a real difference I'm not talking about individually I'm talking about a real difference in something don't take on too much because to follow it you know at the moment i'm trying to get a statue to vera lynn when yeah. it took the statue that i've got of raoul wallenberg who saved the lives of a thousand jewish people outside the central london synagogue that took up a huge amount of my time and you've got to delegate as well yeah. and the person i delegated to lionel altman who's now dead i mean i owe him so much for getting that to happen yeah. and you do need good people around you yeah. And it's jolly difficult to get good people around you. So talk, and you talk. don't know who's genuine or who's just using you. So it's, mm. it's tricky. And I would say to everyone in politics, be careful who you trust. Yeah. Talk to us about the statue for yeah. Vera Lynn. We're curious about Well, yeah. I think Vera, who I met on a number of occasions, was just wonderful. She comes from the East End. Of, she came from the East End of London, a humble background and all of that. But... That is someone with a voice. You see, half the time these days, people who think they're a good singer, well, they're absolute rubbish. I mean, I could go into a recording studio and do a mix over me and do take... Re- and you think, I've got a fantastic voice. Someone who's got a fantastic voice who's someone who does it live, frankly. Yeah. Her diction was just wonderful mm. and she could sell a song and all of that. And, you know, she didn't retire early or take to no. drink and drugs. She did did all this for 70, 80 years and life was Johnny tough for her. Yeah. Yeah. But... It was the fact that she got off her backside Mm. and not like a lovey now who would want a special plane and all that. She roughed it and she went out there to the jungle. And you look at all the newsreels. She had all the troops sort of who were very easily pleased and she got them all singing her Many well, songs she she was very much part of my growing up. I mean, my grandparents, yeah. my parents, they, you know, she was actually yeah. mentioned continually over those years. Yeah. So I think if anyone deserves a statue, and I'm in favour of statues, ladies and gentlemen, Vera does. And what could be more wonderful than her at the top of an amphitheatre with her story, uh, which the artist will produce around her feet... And as you come, hopefully legally, across the channel, there'll be Vera <laughs> reaching out to you. That would be amazing. And we need a lot of money. Mm. Have you commissioned statue. an artist for that? Vera only has one daughter, yeah. Ginny, and she's got this favourite artist who is great, and uh, he will be producing the work. But right. we do need to raise a lot of money, and I'm fed up with all these big noises saying it's a good idea, it's wonderful. Let's have your money! All right, so Let's where have are, your money. So, David, where are you with, with the plan with that? Is it, is well, it going well? Well, if you well? go online to yeah. the Dame Vera Lynn 
just giving page. It's not going as well as I would hope to. Okay. But I am an optimist and we are going to get the money and yeah. we've got ongoing plans of things that we're doing and it'll be a drip, drip, drip thing. But all I'm saying is money is tight mm, yeah. for everyone and everything. And some people would say, why waste your money on this? Well, it's this This is linked into the regeneration of Dover, yeah. who are a very forward-looking council. And it's going to mean a lot to them. Yeah. And this is going to happen. And as Ginny says, David... I want to be alive when this happens, yeah. 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 And my dream would be the Queen, if she would prepare to do it, we could get her unveiling it. Because the Queen, her sister and her mother, just thought she was marvellous. Yeah, yeah. Over the years, I mean... I know you've championed numerous charities and local charities, including uh, the Music Man Project, Prostate, Endometriosis UK, and, and, and you received an Outstanding Achievement Award at the charity champion parliamentary reception hosted by Dodds. I mean, your work continues in all these areas, does it? Uh, I think that um, it's a no-brainer for politicians to get involved with charities because charities aren't a drain on the public purse. Mm. Charities, hopefully, although it does change a bit now, bureaucracies and the bigger charities are well established and they're taking some of the money and all all of that but no i think charities are so so important so the royalties from the book go to three local charities david stanley by the way who is the vice chairman of the dame vera lynn memorial so if i snuff it or think i can't do x y and z david because i like to be surrounded by people who can do things and david stanley is a can-do person so he and his wife who were two marvelous teachers at eastwood academy decided well david decided to sort of give up everything and devote his life to to sharing the joy of music with people with learning difficulties and it's not just performing at the london palladium the royal albert hall but we're going to go across to broadway so that's one thing yeah prostate paul sayer for what he's done with the prostate charity uh, with gene therapy so he wants to share that good news with other people and then endometriosis although i've got a son and four daughters i'd never heard of endometriosis until a a constituent came to me talking about endometriosis one and a half million ladies suffer from it so a third of the royalties go to that but you see previously in basildon we set up the horse and pony donkey sanctuary the act of parliament in there on the top of pitsy mount and then the course there was the hospice and then there was all the i don't suppose you can talk about boys and girls clubs now but then you could boys clubs so Mm. i've had a long association with charities and uh, unfortunately at the moment we struggle to get people to get involved with charities because they all say they're too busy Mm. well folks no one could be as busy as i am Mm -hmm. and if i can find time I'm sure all of you can, frankly. Whereas I used to have to physically travel to all the charities, you can just get on Zoom, dare I say, or the internet and do it. So everyone can make a bit of difference. So if everyone gave a pound to Vera, we would get there. Yeah, well, we'll hopefully, or fifty p. Hopefully, we, hopefully, we'd uh, get there. Our audience is going to make it. If difference. I see a I penny so, in yeah. the street, chaps, I'd pick it up, don't you? Yeah. I mean, youngsters would just they won't bother now, but every penny counts. Well, we know you're incredibly busy, uh, David, but I, you know, I'd like to understand what you do to relax. Yeah. Um, away from your political and I like events. all sorts of sport. If you'd have seen, I'm the chairman of the all-party parliamentary group to the Olympics and Paralympics. So I just thought the Olympic Games was just absolutely fantastic. Very proud of what we achieved. Yeah. And I do think of the poor people who came forth and the people who, through injury, didn't didn't get there. So I love all sorts of sports. I'm a bit nervous about the cricket today. I think it's starting yeah, today. today or, or yeah. tomorrow. It wasn't too good with so, Broad being out and Anderson yeah. with an injury, but we'll see what happens there. I'm a dyed-in-the-wool West Ham support and there aren't so many people now who could say that their team were responsible for winning the world cup but uh, our three players from west ham made the world cup happen so i like all sorts of sport i can't ladies and gentlemen though watch games and matches through because i can no longer stand the the tension and nervous and i get all (laughs) 
all sort of... Did you watch um, England in the final against Italy and the Euros? I did, but I kept popping in and out of the room and I was thinking <laughs> if I didn't cross my leg one particular way, that would bring bad luck. And, you know, unfortunately, I, I, I just knew that as soon as Rashford started licking his lips and did that little dance, I thought, God, he's nervous, which anyone would yeah. be. And I worried that he was only bought on yeah. in the last minute. So I thought, oh, I don't... I'm not sure this is going to end well. And, of course, he, poor thing, has to carry with him the rest of the life. I'm sure it had an effect on on the next two chaps. But, you know, it was just, it was marvellous to get to the final. Yeah, of course. And I love gardening. I'm obsessed with gardening. I particularly like roses. Uh, I love to travel, been all over the world. I like that. I do love old-fashioned films and movies, Anything to do with history, I'm obsessed with Queen Victoria. <laughs> the list is endless. I've got plenty of interests. During, <laughs> during the pandemic, did you get involved with Netflix and stuff like that? No. You didn't? I'm proud to say that my children t- talk about Netflix and apparently I might have watched them, but I'm not knowingly <laughs> signed up to a Netflix oh. and I don't exactly understand what it is. What inspired you to write the book? Yeah. Eyes and ears. Oh, it's been on the cards ever since I was first elected. There's been rights and rewrites, etc. But many politicians do it when they've left Parliament. Yeah. And once you're no longer an MP, everyone drops you, which probably is a good thing. Actually, mm. <laughs> you're left in peace. But uh, would you write an, uh, a sequel? Yes. Oh, yes. And that's the one. Yeah, that's that, the one. That is the one that everyone would be interested because in. Because you then I could be really <laughs> nasty about you said any that. of my goals and, and, uh, and then people uh, would try and sue me, but there won't be an, enough time. Oh yeah, I, I've got a lot, a lot more to say. But the book really was not an expose, but it was given an insight yeah. into four decades, including the terrible rows and arguments about us leaving the European Union and about the coronavirus pandemic. But I've got um, any number of colleagues' cards marked. (laughs) (laughs) And if they think think I'm joking, they need to grow one. We look forward to having you back when when that's that's been written. Yeah, definitely. It's amazing. And the book's available, all good retailers... Amazon. Well, I hope it's even available at poor retailers. <laughs> Not bothered who stocks it, frankly, as long as they buy them and people You've stop asking me it. saying that it they would absolutely. love a copy and don't want it for any money. You know, this is hopeless. You can't no. give away all the copies, for goodness sake. You've got to buy it because then it goes to charity. Yes, so, yeah, it's available, dare I say, on Amazon because I'm not happy about the night flights, but that's another story. It's available anywhere and everywhere. And at least not all, email me and I'll get your copy. Fantastic. But you'd have to buy it. Fantastic. Tell everybody your email address. Amos, all little letters, A-M-E-S-S-D, all one word, at parliament.uk. Thank you. Amos D at parliament.uk. Brilliant. So, David, it's been an absolute experience talking to you today. Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this podcast. It's been fabulous. Thank you so much. My pleasure. No, it's been great. Good luck and good health to everyone. Thank Thank you. you. That brings us to the end of today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, please like, subscribe and tell your friends. For further information, please visit us at www.needlefishgroup.co.uk.